You promised me something good today, something happy and joyful and oh, great joking conversation. Sweet, sweet girl. <laughs> nope, it was promised. I'm holding you to it. Oh, uh, well, I hate to break that promise because this is rough. Really? Yeah, and we're gonna have to jump right into this because there's a lot going on here. Fantastic. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. <laughs> I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. So I've talked about a million times about how I am crazy when it comes to like true crime. I listen to like a ton of podcasts. I love documentaries. Like what I go to What did you sleep. say that you're what? True crime enthusiast. No, you're crazy. Oh. There's so many times that I'm like, can we listen to something else? <laughs> yeah, no, I love this stuff. And I don't love what happens. I love to know about it, though. I Why? Obsessive, I don't know. I obsessively, like... I'm going to research the psychology behind the obsession of... I probably need medication, but... <laughs> but today, we will be covering a case that actually terrifies me, and it takes a lot to scare me. I listen to this stuff all the time, um, and this is a terrifying, terrifying case. And the reason that I will never travel to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Mm. Uh, it is a case that I will randomly think about. That's the name about. of the town? Yep. Truth or Consequence? Yep. Well, that's eerie in itself. Uh-huh. Okay. It is also a case that I will randomly think about and be re-traumatized. So, really? let's just... Pass that trauma Great. to you. I'm so excited. Uh, so we will be covering the toy. <laughs> Pass it to me. Tell me the story about this. Yeah. That I can't even watch scary movies or. I said that I wanted to do this case and I was like, I don't know that you can handle it. And Tracy's like, I can handle it. And I was like, I don't think you can handle it. We're going to test that today. All right. Give it to me. We will be covering the toy box killer, a.k.a. David Parker Ray today. Oh, God. So going to give one big trigger warning. This is, again, the only case that has ever terrified me. There is sexual assault and there is torture. You're going to give a trigger warning? We should just put a trigger warning on the description Every. of this podcast. Literally. We will. <laughs> so I'm actually kind of shocked at how many people don't know about this case. I don't know about it. Yeah. I mean, I know a little bit about it, but in undergrad we had to study and this was one of the ones that came up and when I read like the the vague little whatever of it I was like yeah no and I'm gonna tell you right now I am not gonna get super in depth into some of the things if you want to know more google because it makes me physically nauseous all right Let's all go. right so <clears throat> David Parker Ray was born November 6 1936 in New Mexico he was neglected as a child and was constantly passed around between family members so his parents or his dad was just like MIA mom said peace out Okay. Passed around to family members. So tendencies of non-attachment. Yep. So as a result, he would write in journals for hours at a time. So, and that's important for later. He um, would created his own little fantasy world that he lived in. And like I said, his dad was an alcoholic who was hardly ever around him. When he would show up, he would show up, beat the crap out of him, and then leave him a bunch of pornographic magazines on his way out. Awesome. So dad of the year. And these aren't just okay, like... Okay, but... But that will psychologically cause correlations later on. Beating, like, physical pain and then sexual Ooh, gratification. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's... See, this is what... See, this is why we need your brain. Oh, great. Um, and so we're you've not... got... So already, you've got... Already, you've told me he has an attachment disorder or an attachment issue. He will not be able to attach to people in an empathetic manner. And he will correlate sex with pain. So, great. This is going to be oh fun. Oh my gosh, I didn't, literally never connected that. He beat the shit out of him and then would give him pornographic yeah, magazines. and not just like a Playboy, like sadistic porn magazines. Okay, great. So, and this started at very, very young. Fantastic. This is going to be great. So, porn and fantasy became an obsession for David. He was very shy around girls and he got bullied because he was really quiet in school. So his sister discovered photos that he had drawn of be women being tied up and then murdered and was like, dude, you're weird. And so then he would get kicked out of that family member's house and move to the next family member's house. Uh, after graduating, he joined the army where he was a mechanic 
and he was honorably discharged and then would marry four times after this, marrying mm-hmm. divorced four times. Attachment disorder. <laughs> Through these divorces, uh, he would have two children, a son named David Jr. and a daughter who, um, who he was very close to and will be an active player later in this, Glenda Ray, who they called Jesse. That they called Jesse. Jesse Ray. Okay. So after the divorces and leaving the military, he would start working for the Elephant Butte State Park as a park ranger outside of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Uh, his co-worker said that he was super chill dude, charming, and was always going out of his way to help people. Like, great guy. And when, by the time, I will just put this out here because I don't want to forget it later, by the time he gets arrested, his boss does not believe that he could do these things and puts him on paid leave while he's in jail because he was such an amazing guy. Okay. Okay. Little did they know that he was a sexual sadist. Oh, I called that, didn't so, I? So, give us a little more information on sexual sadism. Well, I already did. Sexual sadism is... Oh, my gosh. We're starting it's out strong. giving and receiving pleasure acts or pleasure that inflicts pain on somebody else. It is the inability of getting sexually aroused without pain being involved Mm. which is i called that yeah well he it's i mean mile the the bds whatever you know sexual what is that called i'm drawing a blank right now because i'm starting to yeah because i'm starting to panic of where this is going (laughs) yeah you should be panicked (laughs) you keep that panic of well and alive you know some people are into stuff like that to different degrees like being choked or being tied up or being you know i mean some people like that sexually but but there is like a whole different fear of this sexual sadism is like it's actually a disorder it's actually a mental health absolutely um, and it's like characterized by like sexual pleasure from humiliation, the infliction of fear, or some kind of, of mental harm and control over someone in order for you to get sexually aroused. And well, and there is proof of that because it was, I can't remember exactly what the erection pill, it wasn't Viagra back then, but when mm-hmm. he was a teenager, he called one of these erection pill companies and was like, hey, if I use this, will I be able to get an erection without needing to hurt someone? And they were like, no. The fuck? (laughs) Um, And David Parker, can you please not call our hotline again? Thank you. Oh my gosh. But but back then, what are we talking like 1950s by now? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mental health wasn't even a thing. I mean, now... They were like this weirdest guy. (laughs) Yeah, now you would be like, dude, seek some mental health you know, treatment. But back then they were probably just like, uh, who knows? Who knows? But where does this stem from? Samantha, his dad beating the shit out of him and then throwing porn at him. Sadistic porn at him. It reprograms your brain. It makes the chemical makeup of your brain different. Well, so there is one other person that is involved in this and that is going to be she has a fantastic name, Cindy Hindi. Her parents must have hated her. Cindy Hindi, that's her name. Cindy Hindi. <laughs> who is David's girlfriend, who is much younger than him, and she would participate in his crimes with him. In his crimes? Mm-hmm. We're getting into that. Okay. So Cindy, a little back on her, she was born February 26, 1969. So he was born in the 30s. She was born in almost the 70s. Yeah. In Washington. She was ignored by her mother as she grew up, and she was sexually abused by her or by her stepfather. When she was 11, she went to her mom and was like, hey, your husband is doing Ugh. things to me. At which her amazing mother kicked her out at 12. Oh, my God. Because she did not believe her that her husband was sexually assaulting her. Okay, we can feel bad for the child. Let's not... We can feel bad for the children. We cannot feel bad for the adults. No. <laughs> so... We can have sympathy for that's horrible. Her mom is garbage. Yeah. So she turned to the streets and started doing cocaine at 12. Oh, what else is she going to do? Yep. Uh, so she was living on the street and everyone knew her. Everyone that knew her said that she was 105 pounds but could easily, quote, beat the shit out of a 250-pound man. Yeah. 
like tough girl. So she ended up having four children while she was on the street that clearly she couldn't take care of because she's right. a baby having babies. So what did she do? She sent these to them to live with her mother and her stepfather. Oh, no. You know, the stepdad that had been sexually assaulting her until she was kicked out. But what else is she... Oh, my God. So, in 1997, she was arrested for selling cocaine um, when she was trying to sell to an undercover cop and was ordered to take a drug class. How old was she? uh, It was in 1997, so late, late 20s, early 30s. She was like, yeah, I'm not doing this drug class and dipped out of Washington and ran to New Mexico. She was like... Yeah, I'm not doing that. Very quickly after arriving in New Mexico, she received a DUI where she did 30 days in jail and had to do community service. Well, where did she do this community service? The park where she would meet David. Okay. So in January of 1999, Cindy moves into David's. And police believe that he will kidnap and assault more than 40 women over the course of 30 years. Now, why do we believe this? Remember how I said David likes to journal? David would write down every single woman he would abduct, what he would do to them, how he would torture them, if he released them, or if he murdered them. Wrote it all down. So no bodies will ever be found in this case. Oh my god. So let's flash forward a little bit. It's March 22nd, 1999, and a 911 operator gets a call, but the person on the other end does not respond. She can hear some scurrying in the background, but nobody ever talks. Then the phone is abruptly hung up. She calls the number back and an annoyed woman answers out of breath and says, everything is fine. I accidentally called. Dispatcher is like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Going to go ahead and send out for a welfare check. Okay. So the town that this call comes from is tiny. Truth or Consequences has about a thousand people that live in it. And it is next to the largest desert in the northern, the third largest desert in the northern hemisphere. Okay. Okay. A deputy is on his way to the house. When he gets near, he sees a car on the side of the road where a woman is frantically waving at the police. She's upset and flustered and tells them that she just saw a naked woman covered in blood running down the street. They said, okay, well, we have another weird call. Like, let's go here and then we'll, like, try to find this naked woman running through the streets. Let's not call another officer and get... What? Right. So he goes to 513 Bass Road. The house was right behind a metal fence with a beware of dog sign, and the dog comes back into play later as well. House is very dirty. Piles of garbage all over the yard. Like, gross house. Police knock on the door. No one answers. As they're standing there, they get another call of another sighting of a naked woman covered in blood with a chain around her neck running down the road. More officers are, are sent in, and they... <coughs> Okay, and, I'm impressed. I mean, I'm glad that people are calling 911, but nobody stops to help her. Do you, Would you? Yes. Would you not be kind of scared of who's chasing her? You don't know if she... Or if she's, like, tricking you and going to kill you herself? I don't know. I don't know what I would do. No, I think, I think that um, your instincts, your intuition, your everything, that you can tell if somebody is in, like, distress. But I don't know. Was it, was it Ted Bundy that pretended like he was all injured and... That's how he Injured, snatched. not naked, running down the street, covered in blood. Women don't behave like that. Yeah, it's true. With a chain around her neck, I think you could be able to tell, at least if you're not going to stop, if you're not going to stop and help her, at least call and like tell her, I'm going to stay behind you to make sure you're safe. Help is on the way and stay behind her to make sure some. I don't Nobody, know. I don't know. It's a rough one. Social responsibility. You do talk on that. So the more, more officers arrive and they enter the house because they're like, okay, it's weird that we got this frantic phone call. Now there's this like naked woman running amok. But probably, uh, oh my gosh. Maybe they're connected. So nobody's answering the door. So they enter. They don't yeah. have a search warrant so they can't go through things, but they can enter to make yeah, sure that somebody is It's a welfare check. Mm-hmm. So here are some interesting things that they find. Every single window is completely covered. The living room is dirty and dark and hoard, like almost hoarder style, like very dirty. There's a bed in the living room with broken broken glass around it. The mattress is covered in blood, and there's a bloody ice pick next to it. Oof. Each four corners of the bed has a shackle. (sighs) Another look around the room, there is a cork board with a bunch of torture items hung up. In one of the bedrooms, there are chains hanging from the ceiling and porn covering the walls. 
Um, as this is all being discovered, another 911 call comes through that there is a naked woman in the, a woman calls saying that there's a naked woman in her living room saying that she has been held and raped for the last three days. In her living room? Yeah. She, she let her in. She let her in. She, Good for her. Yes. I mean, somebody has somebody doing something to help this poor girl. And how old is the girl? Oh, we don't know yet. Right. We don't know. So more police are dispatched, and they go to the house where the woman, where an elderly man is waving the police down. The man is trying to explain to the police why, like, what the woman has told him. As the woman runs out and runs to the officer, screaming, "Please don't let them get me!" This woman is twenty-two-year-old Cynthia V. Hill, and is the last known survivor of David and Cindy. She had been taken um, by the couple three days earlier, had been chained up in their home where she had been raped and beaten for three days. At the, at the time, she did not know where the house was, but she did know that they went by the names Dave and Cindy, and she pointed at a park ranger who had shown up after hearing it on the radio to assist police. He's one of you. Another park ranger was about to leave, was about to leave work when over the radio he heard David's address and decides to show up to see what's going on. As he's driving there, an RV driving down the road with Cindy and David. They wave. Hey, man, what's up? The police, he calls us in over the radio and police take off to try to catch them because they're like, Dave and Cindy. Like, it's a thousand people. Park Ranger, Dave and Cindy. Who is it? So police take off and when they get him flagged down, they're like, step out of the vehicle, step out of the vehicle. And David opens the window. He's like, this is not necessary. Like, what's going on, guys? And they're like, Cindy, get out of the van. She gets out and is covered in blood. So David is arrested and Cindy is transported to the hospital where to get medical assistance. They're like, she's covered in blood. What's is it on? her blood? It is her oh blood. Oh my gosh. So the police call the state police for help um, with the investigation because it's tiny town. The police are not equipped to handle this. They're like, what is going on here? Why? Why are the police not equipped to handle it? <laughs> Don't they get me them, started on they, cops today. They took them to a boat, like a boat dock, to hold them because it was. It's, it's, it had. They said it had more resources than the police department. The than boat the police ramp. department. Than the police department. It has more. The boat ramp has more resources than the police department. It's a small town. There's probably not very much going on. They don't have the resources and time to just maybe read a book. Right. Maybe do some online classes. Right. Well, okay. So with our tax paying money, you don't have the resources. (laughs) All right, law enforcement. Right. So they call state police. Maybe you can call in the park trip. I'm sorry. Me and cops today. (laughs) The uh, state police arrive around 6 p.m. to help with the investigation. Now, Cynthia, the victim, was, okay. was at the hospital. She had not eaten in days. Um, days. She hadn't been fed the entire time she was there. Mm-hmm. So they tried to feed her, but she would immediately throw up. Like, yeah. It does physical damage to you when you don't eat that To long. your organs. Like, you can't does. do that. Mm-hmm. And the entire time, she just kept saying, I'm safe now, I'm safe now, I'm safe now. She had burns, puncture wounds, bruises, and cuts all over her body. Oh, my God. So she's sitting at the hospital... But if you remember, Cindy Hindi had just been brought to the hospital as well and is brought right by the room of Cynthia, that Cynthia was in. Cynthia starts screaming, um, that's her, that's her, please don't let her in, she's here to get me. Walked her directly past the victim's room. Cindy, on her way out, after her wounds were being checked, she had oh been... Oh my god, she, she thinks she's safe and then they bring her right past her. She had um, been stabbed in the head with an ice pick. Who had? Cindy Hindi. Okay. That's why she had been covered in blood. After getting those wounds taken care of, she's released back to the police. And at this point, as she's walking out, Cynthia points, or Cindy points at Cynthia and tells the police, quote, that bitch should be checked. She attacked me and she's high on heroin. Ooh. So police arrive to arrest her. Arrest who? To bring Cindy over to back from the hospital. And then state police say, like, Nobody talked to David or Cindy. We need to go talk to Cynthia first. Mm-hmm. So they head to the uh, to the hospital, and she said that she had lost her mom at a very young age, and she turned to drugs to get through that loss. Then, to afford drugs, she turned to sex work, and she had been a, use- a heroin user, but the last time she used was two days before she was abducted. She had been trying to quit. Cynthia. Cin- yeah, Cynthia. Okay. So she'd been clean for five days off of heroin. Marie of the days she was being brutally attacked. So she was only, she was clean for two days before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
She had just made the decision to quit. March 20th, between 10 and 11 a.m., she was passing through a parking lot where she was told that the man in the RV um, wanted to hire her for the evening. She went over, they had discussed price, and she loaded up. Oh, for sex? For sex, yeah. Okay. She's a sex worker. Then he showed her a fake badge that he had and said that he's an undercover cop and that she's under arrest. After saying this, Cindy just showed up out of the back and tried to handcuff her. She got one handcuffed on her wrist and Cynthia starts fighting. She's like, you guys are not fucking cops. Like, no. Started fighting where then um, David gets up, grabs her, and Cindy pulls out a cattle prod and starts cattle prodding her to get her to stop fighting. They then strip her completely naked, duct tape her mouth, and tell her that if she screams, they will kill her. They get to the house, and upon entering, they put a collar on her and blindfold her. Then she hears a tape recorder start. This is something every victim that is brought into the house is going to hear. And I'm going to warn you guys, this gets really bad, and I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I feel like it's important for you guys to hear how fucking disgusting these people are. He starts out with, Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I would, ima- uh, I would imagine you're not. Your wrists and ankles are chained, you're gagged, and you're probably blindfolded. You're disoriented and scared, too. I would imagine. That's perfectly normal. Under the circumstances, for a little while at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you've been kidnapped, That's uh, what's going to be happening to you, and how, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the detail of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993. It is a general advisory tape for my future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over the period of several years. If at a future date there are any major changes in procedures, this tape will be upgraded. Now you're probably, you're obviously here against your will, totally hopeless. Don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose. You can't. Now, you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next to you. You'll probably think you're going to get raped, and you're fucking sure about that. Your primary interest in what, your primary interest in what, we've got, what you've got is between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole that you have. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train as a sex slave. Sounds kind of far out, right? Well, I suppose this is an uninitiated, but we do this all the time. So I'm going to skip because there's a big portion that makes me physically ill to read. As if that wasn't enough. Oh, it gets significantly worse. Um, If you would like to read that, I mean, you can Google the transcript. Um, I read the whole thing and it's disgusting. So I'm going to skip ahead to the end of the tape. It says, the hidden playroom where you will be kept has steel walls, flooring, and ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges have been welded, and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is uh, totally escape-proof, even with tools. Anytime that you are left unattended a room, your wrists will be chained, and there will be an electric sensor on it to, you know, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed-circuit TV system with surveillance cameras. It's wired to the main TV in our living room, so we can check on you every once in a while. Or sometimes we just sit and watch just for make the fun out of it. Electronics are a wonderful thing. Expensive as hell. Expensive, but hell, everything in this room is expensive and damn well worth it. If everybody knew how much fun it was to have and keep a sex slave, half of the women in the world would be chained up in someone's basement. Anyway, we've got a lot of practice at the end, and uh... Not really concerned about how about you escaping. You're fucking sure not going anywhere. Now, if you're already not if you're not already naked, you soon will be. Your clothes will be bagged up and saved for what time we decide to turn you loose. As far as being naked goes, you might as well um, get used to it. For what we are going to use you for, clothes will be in the way. Besides, I like watching a naked woman's body from our TV set. I've already said you'll be fed and watered on a regular basis, not as much as you are as you are used to, I'm sure, but enough to keep you healthy. You'll be fed once a day, like the rest of our animals. Oh my god. During the course of the day, you are going to be raped several times. That's not a big deal. The second day, you'll get familiar with our rules and procedures. You're gonna get and then we'll get it down to the nitty gritty. This will not be very pleasant for you. Awesome. So it feels like I just read that forever. That's about one-eighth of that. 
the audio tape um, is about an hour long of him going into every single detail of what he will be doing to these women. Do you remember when you asked me what sexual sadism is and I said that it is humiliation and fear? Mm-hmm. It's mental harm to a person before sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't... Scream that? Yeah, because he's, I mean, power and control over them, right? Fear. Yeah. So that tape was recorded in 1993. She was hearing it in 1988. What? He recorded that in 1993. She was hearing it in 1988. He recorded it in 1993. 1998. Did I say 88? She, he recorded it in 1993. She was hearing it in 1988. 1998. Oh, 1998. Okay, like, you said 88. Wrong? I was like, what? Yeah, okay, so... so five years... After. So so there was five years of him playing that. And, oh my God. And like I said, I did not get to the worst parts of that. Um, so, when she wasn't being assaulted, <coughs> she was chained to the bed and they would just sit on the couch next to her and watch TV. Casual. Isn't that lovely? So on March 22nd, she saw David getting ready for, to leave, and he told her that he was that she would be going to the toy box when he got home. Because right now she's been in their house. They haven't even gotten into the toy box. Um, he thought that she was too weak to do anything, and he said, you know, I'll go ahead and release the restraints from your legs. We haven't fed you in three days. You're probably okay to be, rest- you know. Yeah. Whatever. Around 3 p.m. that day, Cindy got a call and set the keys to the, to the rest of her restraints down on the coffee table. Cynthia stretched out her leg and pulled the table closer to her, picked up the keys, and then was like, okay, maybe if I push the table back, Cindy won't remember that she set the keys there. Because mm-hmm. she's like, I can't do it now because what if she gets off the phone and she comes in? Yeah. So as she's stretching out her foot, pushing the table back, Cindy walks in uh, and hits Cynthia in the head with a lamp. Cindy, Cynthia kept fighting. She was able to reach over with... um. Because they had like, she had like five feet of movement Mm -hmm. from her chains. It wasn't like tight, tight. Yeah. Um, But she was able to reach the phone and call 911. That's the call where no one responded. Um, And then notice that there's just an ice pick laying next to the bed. So if she bends down and stabs Cindy and Cynthia in the head with, or Cindy in the head with it and uses the keys to escape. Good. So that brings us back to the naked woman running down the street. After the police hear all of this, they go back to talk to David and Cindy, who say, yeah, they did kidnap her, but it was just to get her off of heroin. They were helping her. No, oh, they were doing an intervention. Yeah. Aren't they sweet? So both were immediately charged with conspiracy, kidnapping, and assault. And on March 23rd, a search warrant was approved. So they enter the house. They found 401 items that did not believe belonged to Cindy and David. Jewelry, driver's licenses. Oh my god. Things 401. Behind or beside the house there was a 20-foot shipping container and inside is what David would call his toy box. Inside there was a giant sign that said Satan's Den. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what's in this. Once again, there's pictures or if you want to go to Las Vegas, they have the entire thing in the Zach Baggins Museum. There is a gynecologist table in the middle of the room a large mirror on the ceiling, and every inch of the walls is covered in torture items, including sex toys that David had altered, including a 15-inch dildo that he had made remote-controlled so that it, like, connects to a screw gun. Oh, my God. And a cork board with photos of all of his other victims. Oh, my God. That he kept as sex slaves. Half of the women had, um, would be chained up in his, in somebody, oh. There, oh. sorry, I switched over there. There was also anatomy books all over the room and then drawings that he had made about how he could cause pain based on things in the anatomy book. There was also a list next to the photos of every single one of his victims. I don't want to list, like I said, everything in there, but just think of the scary thing that you, scariest thing that you could ever imagine. It was in the toy box. He had made the trailer completely soundproof. And after the police walk in there, they're like, yeah, this, um, we need the FBI. Yeah. So the FBI is called in. Cindy agrees to be interviewed by FBI and said that she, 
um, did know that David was dangerous when she started dating him. And he had made it very clear that all women were only, the only thing women were around for was to give him pleasure. And he believed that every woman he owned, they were his property. He told Cindy his first murder was when he was 20 years old and that he had taken a schoolgirl that he then raped, strangled, and murdered. And it made him very aroused. He said that that's when he realized it wasn't just hurting people. He got off on killing as well. Oh, my God. It didn't just stop there. He then started targeting sex workers, um, and he then liked to plan it out and believed that um, no one would look for sex workers. That's what he believed is nobody cared about them. He also believed that they kind of deserved it because they were putting themselves in those dangerous situations. Yeah. <laughs> Blaming the victim. Yep. So Cindy told the police that David spent over $100,000 on items in the toy box. Wow. She also told police that part of his torture was that he would invite... This gets bad. He would invite... It gets bad. It Samantha, gets... we hit bad four seconds in and we've maintained it. Yeah, this gets... Yeah. You know, I said the dog would be important later. <clears throat> she told police that part of his torture is he liked to invite his friends over... He would then place his sex slave in a contraption that would force them to be bent over and then spray the woman with breeding spray and let the dog rape the woman in front of all of his buddies. Oh, my God. Um, I won't be going into more detail about that, but that is something that he tells them in the audio tape will be happening to him. I just want to know, like, so there's, like, obviously a community of sick fucks if he's inviting his buddies over to watch a woman that he's kidnapped be assaulted you, by the how dog. How do you even open up that conversation with your friends and be like, hey, hey. want to watch my dog fuck somebody that I just kidnapped? What the fuck? Holy crap. Rile me up. <sighs> so... I'd like to know, did they, we find out who any of these buddies are? Like, did we investigate you, maybe them? And Do you them? know, I mean, just, I mean, off the top of my head here, that the BDSM community, like, like that's like sexual fantasies, kinks, right? Like right. spanking, demis, you know, dominant, submissive, whatever, that like 30 to 50% of people participate in that. Really? Yeah, that it's... I mean, yeah, to some degree, right? right? But it's safe, right? And when you usually say, whoa, you know, your partner's like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you or know, consenting adults. Right. But to this degree, to this kind of sex slave stuff, I mean, we're talking like 2 to 30% of the population do this. Like, I mean, it's... I don't know. Blame it on free porn. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's progressive, right? I mean, anything is progressive. Any sort of desire or whatever, like you have to have more in order to. There's this. There's a study, and this is true, like specifically with men. Men who watch a lot of porn have a really, really hard time climaxing or finishing like in a relationship. Really? Yeah, because it's a fantasy. Because, I mean, what's on porn? perfect women with perfect bodies you know moaning at the right spot I you know like the whole everything it's a fantasy right and men that watch a lot of that will not be able to climax with a regular woman it's kind of wild to think about but it's true I mean that's true but but then you take it to so the whole sexual sadism thing is very very uncommon but in homicides because you've asked me this question in in homicides that are sexually driven, 75% of them, like 50 to 75% of them will be sexual sadists. Yeah, because we were talking about that because I was like, man, I feel like almost every case that we talk, there's some sort of like sexual aspect to it. Right. Well, how do you overpower and inflict pain and control over a woman? Rape. Yeah. Assault. No, sexual trauma. You, mm -hmm. you rape her. Yeah. Or you do something sexual to her that she doesn't want right right it's the best form of mental torture and physical torture to a woman yeah long lasting too like it's not over when it's over we right. never forget that stuff ever right well 
Sorry. No, you're okay. That's, no, that's good, though, to get more information. Um, so throughout the interview, though, Cindy would tell the police about women that they did release alive. Oh, they did? Uh-huh, a few. Mm. Um, these women would be brought over by his daughter, Jessie. And most of them good friends of his daughter. Ah. So these same horrible things would happen to them, except they would be heavily drugged and then released. So it felt like a hallucination or uh-huh. something? So after this, obviously the news gets wind of this. This is like small town, thousand people. And oh, this, this is a big deal. 40 <clears throat> victim mm-hmm. serial killer out there just doing stuff in this tiny little town. A few women would come forward and be like, wait, I think that happened to me. One of these women said that she was released, and she remembers it, though. She wasn't drugged enough. She remembers. And when she was walking, she was picked up by an off-duty officer who she told everything to. Told him this entire thing. And he said that the story was too out there and no way that that was true. Took her to where she needed to go, dropped her off. Nothing happened. So she said at that point it was very clear that no one was going to believe her. So why would she tell anybody else? She already told an officer. Yeah. He didn't believe her. So nobody's going to believe her. Why would she tell anyone else? Well, they're not equipped. They don't have the resources. Yeah. So then through the FBI searching the toy box, they found, like I said, there's a lot of photos of victims. And one photo had a woman who had a very distinctive swan tattoo on her calf. And then he also recorded what he did to these women, like tape recorded. Oh, my God. Um, So they found the video of her and took still frames of, like, what the woman looked like and her tattoo and stuff. And put it on the local news to try and find her. Jesus Christ. So this woman is watching the news, and this woman is named Kelly Garrett. And is like, dude, that's that's my face and that's my tattoo. The What? And calls the police and says that she was a nanny who was friends with Jesse, but she has no recollection that this happened until they showed her the video of her being raped and tortured. Oh my God, they showed her the video of that happening to her. She said that she had been having nightmares, <gasps> that she had been having nightmares, and she didn't know why. She has of things like this, of her being tied up and stuff, but she didn't know why she was having these nightmares. Awesome. Because she'd been at the toy box for. Yeah. A couple weeks. A couple weeks? Yep. They drugged her so heavily she didn't yep. remember her. She was married, and her and her husband had gotten a fight, and she'd gone to the far, bar with her buddy, Jesse, and then was like, Jesse was like, hey, we need to, I need to stop by my dad's real quick. And then he just released her at her. So he took her back to her home and left her in the front yard and said, Talked to her husband, too, and said, I think that she's coming down from some drugs. I think she was using drugs again. I found her on the side of the road in his park ranger uniform. Wow. Got some balls on you there, buddy. Good Samaritan. Yeah. Now, Cindy says that she does not know where any of the bodies of the women that they murdered are buried because David would handle that. But, as we've said a few times, David worked as a park ranger and knew exactly when roads were being built. So it is believed that many of these women were placed, buried right before concrete was poured. Um, so what happens from here? They have found um, found 40 women's names and information that had been tortured and murdered at David's house. There was 40 encounters that they had. By the time they found him, by the time this happened, he was what, like 60? Yeah. Yeah. He said that he had been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. In um, in t- 2000, Cindy Hindi, who was very much involved in all Absolutely. of this, testified it against Ray. So she received a plea deal yep. and got 36 years for her roles in the crime, but was, but was scheduled to receive parole in 2017. So 17 of the 36 years. Yep. Good behavior. Jail overcrowding. We've talked about that. So I didn't know this. Like like I said, I've known about this case for a while. But um, when I was researching this, I literally got a heat rash because this stresses me out so bad. Yeah. Um, she has found herself landed in western Montana. What? She's out? Uh-huh. Has been since 2017. And she lives in Montana? Uh-huh. Where? <laughs> Where? Do you know? Hamilton. 
in Hamilton. Well, that's a nice area. It's a very nice area. So, after serving her 18 years in New Mexico for the involvement, she moved herself to Hamilton, Montana, where community members expressed frustration and worry on social media after finding out that Hindi lived very close to the local school. Even at, how old is she? 70? Uh, no, because no. she was 30 years younger than him. Yeah. So she's probably 60 now. Yeah. Late 50s, 60s. So in Montana, offenders can have to register either as a sexual or a violent offender. Mm-hmm. Or both. So there's different tiers. There's like yeah. the lowest tier, which is just just a sexual offender. Then there's violent offender, and then there's both. It's mm-hmm. the top tier. Well... If the crime does not occur in Montana, but you are a convicted offender and you move to the state, Montana law can adopt the level assigned based on the sentencing of of the judge. But because the crimes did not happen in Montana, she is listed as the bottom scale. She's just a regular sex offender. Therefore, there is no law um, prohibiting where she can live. She can live really wherever she wants to live. Meaning... Within a certain radius of schools, parks, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, Glenda Ray, Jean Ray, Jesse, described or pleaded no contest to helping with the kidnappings. And in 2001, she was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, plus five years probation. Two and a half years. That's it. Okay. For supplying women to her father. David Ray agreed to a plea bargain and was sentenced in 2001 to 224 years in prison for numerous offenses in the abduction and sexual torture, but he was unable to be charged of any murders because no bodies have ever been found. Wow. Is he dead or is he still alive? He's chilling in jail. Where? In New Mexico? She lives in Montana! Yeah. 17 years! Yeah. Yeah. I'm next mean, to a school. Have you ever been to Hamilton, Montana? No, it's by Missoula, right? I I can't imagine that she's having any pleasantries in Hamilton, Montana, being who she is. Hamilton, Montana is very, very upscale. It's very ritzy. It's very snooty. It's very there's a lot of money there. And so I can't imagine that those that those people are we're just not Montana and Wyoming, we're very, very similar. We're very similar in our, um, the way that, I can't imagine that they're kind to her. I can't imagine that this is wonderful for her. However, it seems as though that staying inside and being a recluse and being isolated is kind of her gig, right? But it, isn't it interesting, interesting for lack of a better word, the shit that women will do to each other for she, the quote love of a well, man. Well, and Cindy was into it too. She loved the like the BDSM side. She just he also got off by killing. So how do you just have rough yeah. violent sex with your boyfriend? But do but do you believe or can you wrap your head around this that women who have been I mean I'm just I'm just throwing this out there as as a theory, okay? Based on things that you know that that I believe that women who have been sexually molested or sexually abused specifically as a child will lean towards more aggressive sexual encounters as an adult to avoid the emotional connection with someone opposed to men who need it to escalate to keep getting off. Yeah. Can you wrap your head around that? Yeah. And that's like... And that's why you see you see oftentimes women who have experienced those things, specifically as a young child, sexual trauma, sexual abuse, who will not do things like kissing, holding hands, or like slow, soft sex, quote, lovemaking as adults because of the emotional tie that it, that it links with someone. Mm-hmm. Sex becomes more of like an act, something that they do instead of an emotional tie, which is obviously what it is, which causes more frustration, right? Yeah. Can you wrap your head around that? Yeah. I just wonder too, like what his deciding factor for the women that he drugged and released were, and then the woman that he murdered. Unless 
because he said all the women he did abduct he was very attracted to um so it was a physical thing to him he had to be physically attracted to them but like I also kind of wonder like I mean it was brutal for everybody that went in there but also like I mean like I said I didn't go into horrible detail but like I mean he had dildos that had nails (gasps) like melted into them so I'm wondering, I mean, those women, I can't imagine you survive that. No. Like, so if it got more to a more aggressive state, mm-hmm. and that's where it went, or if it was a choice, like, I don't, how were some of them, why was some of them released and some of them not? Okay, so let's, let's profile this. Let's, let's just make up a, let's make up a scenario. The ones that were released were people, the ones that were killed were people who maybe he believed didn't have anybody that's going to come looking for them. Yeah. Especially in a small community. The sex workers, the people who are, maybe he had different levels of sadism that he would inflict on them. Maybe the dirty, nasty prostitutes who deserve, you know, to have... And she's not saying that that's what we're saying. He's no, thinking. yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> we saying We do not that. think that about sex workers. No, not at all. Because, I mean, look at why they're doing those things. They don't have another option. Right. I mean, that they don't have. And his, his daughter's friends, Jesse's friends that would bring that got released were probably people that clearly they knew that had ties to the family. You can't kill a bunch of people that you know that you have ties to you or law enforcement, regardless of how many resources are unavailable to them and little training that they have. Those statements piss me off. Just go to the boat ramp. It's fine. They're well more equipped. They're way better equipped. The boat dock. You know, you can't have ties like that. You can't have multiple ties like that. And so, you know, drug them and let them go. And he did that very effectively. They didn't remember it. They did it very effectively. I wonder, though, if um, if Jesse would give them, you know, the date rape drug or something like that. Before arriving. While they were at the bar together. And then, I don't know. You would think, though, and there, I don't know. And there was, like, chloroform and stuff in his den of horrors. Oh, my gosh. You would think, though, that after being sexually tortured like that... I mean, even if you have aggressive sex one night, you're going to be sore. You're going to have, right? I I don't know. Maybe they just, I don't know. Or maybe they just didn't, I don't know. That is disgusting. Well, and he, like, too, what gets me is, like I said, his boss, after this all came out, he was like, there's no way. Right. He's such a great guy. I'm putting him on unpaid like on paid leave like this is gonna get cleared up that mm-hmm. somebody can be that good to your community that your boss is like there's no way we're gonna pay you while you're in jail to going home and recording a tape like that no those are not like the decompart like compartmentalization of that is yeah. like insane to me and we all have our secrets right that's a pretty big but damn that's secret a pretty, that's a pretty well as he's putting on his park ranger uniform, telling her, you're going to the toy box tonight. You looking forward to that? Yeah. You've been, you know, it's time to move out. Move to the toy box. Well, thank you, Samantha, for that. That's that's interesting. The only case that is ever, like, he's scary. He's, not that everybody else is scary. He's, like, a different level of terrifying to me. The fact that we've never found anybody... Yeah. And he, they do think, because he was for a little while after leaving the military, before coming back and joint, getting his job, he was kind of a drifter. So they say they, there can be body in Texas, bodies in Texas. They say there can be bodies in Alaska. They don't know. They're guessing. They can be, because he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. He was just roaming, roaming America. So I do want to end, end with, because I gave, I gave their law enforcement a lot of shit in this episode. <laughs> because I just I I mean that that would literally be like saying I'm going to a doctor who really isn't a doctor yet he doesn't have their money to you know I mean like there's a standard and if you can't meet the standard then don't call yourself law enforcement don't don't if you have to take people to the boat ramp because you're no I'm serious can't. like if you don't have the resources then you don't have the force and give it to somebody else mm-hmm. in my opinion however 
I will say good for them for calling in other agencies when they knew that they were over their head and not trying to yeah. trying to do it on their own because clearly they could not. Right. And how many lives could have been prevented had that officer, and I use that word very, very loosely there, taken what that girl said seriously? Right. That's why every crime should be investigated. Well, and that's like the big issue too with why women don't report rapes. Absolutely. If nothing happens, you're putting yourself in more danger for going and being a rat. Absolutely. When nothing happens, when nobody, yeah. when no one is held accountable for things. Yeah. Why would women come forward? Absolutely. Why would, if she knows this, of course she didn't go and tell anybody else. He literally pretty much just laughed in her face and was like, that sucks. That didn't happen. That's a little out there. Yeah. And it is. Like you, hearing that, that doesn't sound like something that would really happen, but it did. It it did and it it does actually quite a bit. It does happen. But then there's the flip side of it also of girls who say that things happen when they really don't. There are two sides to that. However, as a police officer, it doesn't as a police officer, you don't that out, you don't get to decipher, you don't get to differentiate who's who's being truthful and who isn't without an in-depth investigation. Period. End of discussion. Right. And then if she's lying, hold her accountable. If he's doing it, hold him accountable. Yeah. Oh, disgusting. So hopefully you all don't have nightmares. I know I will. Please, like, don't go read the rest of the thing. I mean, if you want to. I mean, that's your prerogative. Well, it's like, I don't, it's bad. It's really bad. I I appreciate the fact that you didn't read it all because I think that that a lot of our desensitate, oh my gosh, I can't say that word, in society today is because of our exposure to stuff like this. Yeah. And, and we hear it and we read it and it doesn't really resonate. Like three days doesn't seem like that long. You're like, well, it was three days. Three days is a long, stinking time. To be healthy and sure. It's a out. long time to do anything consistently, but then you think no food, no water, being tore. I mean, being scared. Being assaulted. I mean, being scared for five minutes is a long time when you're in that, you know. Yeah. Three being- days is a long time time being burned and because she did she had a lot of burn marks on her oh that's an awful but he also the only other thing i'll say about the auto audio is he said that if you scream you got it worst he warned you that from the very beginning and said if you scream unless i tell you to scream you're gonna get it worse wow he's disgusting and i'll show i'll send pictures on our instagram he's terrifying to even look at like he's a scary guy and freaking cindy hindy lives in montana i can't handle that oh (laughs) you could kick her ass i'm sure i don't know remember her thing saying she could beat a 250 pound man's ass yeah really she's like a tough well lady i don't know uh thanks for joining us okay thank you guys stay safe